Good morning, church. Good morning, those that are online. If you're watching and you're having a good morning as well, uh, go ahead and give me a thumbs up or a heart emoji or your favorite emoji. I don't care uh, what it is, but throw something down so we know that you're paying attention. Today's going to be a good day, amen? I'm excited to see you. Um, I should have listened to the eye doctor when they suggested transitions so that I can see far and close at the same time. Uh, because I wanted to see who I was in the crowd, so I wore these, but now I'm gonna remove them so that I can see what's in front of my face, okay? Uh, and I didn't bring my reading glasses, so. We're in a series today, as Pedro said, called The Anthem of Hope. The Anthem of Hope. And when he asked if you needed hope, I heard a number of responses in the room, and I, I hope that in your living room this morning that you can hope again to even hope again. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we can find ourselves in such a, a low position or low situation or such a dark cave that to even have hope for a better day is beyond our grasp. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there before. I'm not there today and it's been a minute since I have been, but I've been there long enough to understand the desperation that exists in the cave. And so I'm hoping that over the course of this series that we're going to ignite some hope in you. My wife is currently working on a sermon. I'm going to go ahead and commit her, uh, even though she didn't say she was going to preach this. She's going to preach it um, because it's, it's a brilliant message. And it's called, um, well, she hasn't given it a title, but I'm going to title it uh, Morning Glories. We have some morning glories in our backyard and... She takes me out there a lot to go and look at them. And she's like, look at the morning. I found some more morning glories. And those of you that know our story know that the past month or two has been a bit challenging. Uh, we've had a, many different, you know, attacks from the enemy and, and not just from the enemy, like life that just happened to us. And so it's been a, a bit difficult. One of those things, though, was that Carrie lost her mom to covid uh, mom was in the hospital for about a month. Uh, it was unexpected. She was healthy. We were quite certain that she was going to live to be 130 because she was so full of life and energy and spunk. Uh, but, but she didn't survive COVID. Um, I personally believe that the Lord gave her a choice, that he asked her if she wanted to come back or not. And she saw what our eyes can't see here. And, and once that happens, there's no choice. Like, no, I'm staying. My kids, they'll survive. You know, I'm pretty sure that's what mom did. Um, but let me just say in the midst of that, no matter, you know, there's just mourning that takes place when you lose people that you love. Do you know what I mean? No matter how close you are to Jesus, there's this, there's this tinge of, man, I'm not going to see you again this side of glory. And that really stinks, you know. But there's glory to be found in mourning. And so Carrie's going to deliver a brilliant message on mourning glories. I don't know when. Next week, maybe. Maybe the week after. I won't commit her on the time schedule, but it's coming. It's going to be good because we need hope. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to hope again. It is time to hope again. Man, I tell you, I feel like the enemy is, is just running around 
like full throttle, fifth gear, sixth gear. If he has a sixth gear, that would make sense because that's the evil number six. If he had a sixth gear, he's driving around seeking who he can devour. You know, like Revelation 12, 12 says, he knows that his time is short and he's getting a little bit panicked because he knows the book better than you and I do. He knows how it's going to end, but he, he's still getting a little concerned here because he sees all of these prophecies converging. He sees that the glory of God is drawing ever closer. The redemption of our bodies is drawing ever closer. He's getting a little panicked and he's trying to create some havoc. And, and I sense it and, you know, I don't feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for the devil. But I just hope that you and I can grasp the hope that we have in Jesus, the victory that we have in Jesus, that you are an overcomer. No matter what you're going through, no matter what loss you experience, no matter what your bank account says, no matter if, if you have friends, no friends, if there's tension in this whole ridiculous division that is of the enemy, by the way. He's done nothing since the beginning of time but try to create division in the world. So it doesn't matter what issue, it doesn't matter the issue, we will always find division over every issue because that is the enemy's primary goal. But God sent the church here so that you and I can speak unity to a divided world, so that you and I can speak hope to those who want to focus on issues. We got to rise above that got to rise above the, are you vaccinated or not? Do you wear a mask or not? The, the you know, all, all of the issues, the, whatever the current issues, and, and don't worry, stick around. The issues will change next week, right? The big deal of the day will change next week, and we've just got to rise above it. Now, I'm not saying you don't fight for truth and you don't fight for justice and you don't fight for love and all, you know, the things that the Bible talks about that we should fight for, we continue to do that, but we love people because we understand that people are not our enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities of this dark world. So I'm, I wanna take you to my text today in Revelation. You know, Ephesians 2.12 tells us that it relates to being without hope as almost being without God. Those that are without hope are without God. And, and Carrie and I look at each other. We were walking somewhere a couple months ago, and she was just so sweet to me. She was, you know, holding on to my arm. I think we were in the mall or walking somewhere. Who knows? And she just looked over at me, holding my arm, and she said, you know what, Trey? There is no one I'd rather go through a pandemic with than you. And I thought, well, that's a good thing because you're stuck with me. We're all on lockdown. Where'd that come from? I don't know where I was trying to say on that. What was I trying to say on that? Oh, yeah, and what she said to me was, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I don't know how people deal with the unrest in society. I don't know how people deal with the, the, with the global shaking, global shaking. You, you guys do realize that what you're in right now is a global shaking. I hope, I hope you realize there's not really been a global shaking since the days of Noah. We've had nations that have fought. We've had nations that have suffered from different epidemics or pandemics. But, but at the same time, we've had nations concurrently that aren't even touched by those issues. 
Think back to some of the tragedy. I'm just letting the Holy Spirit speak through me today. Is that all right? Think back to the tragedies we've experienced as a civilization. Primarily the biggest one, one of the biggest ones that comes to my mind is the Holocaust. Millions of Jews being led off to slaughter. But did you know there were nations that, that actually weren't impacted at all? They were continuing to dance, continuing to drink, continuing to marry. It wasn't since the days of Noah that the entire world has been impacted like today. The entire world is impacted by this, by this unrest. And I hope that you have eyes to see and ears to hear to know that there's something beyond a virus going on here. There is a spiritual attack on humanity, on the creation of God, on the foundations of earth that are at play. I, I hope in your prayer time, you're not spending all of your prayer time begging God to keep you free from a virus. Because that's not really the enemy here. There is an enemy who is trying to cause the church to be ineffective, trying to cause the church to be divided, trying to cause a church to not hear their creator, to not see what the Lord is doing on the earth. Because if we can't see him and we can't hear him, we can't partner with him. This thing is bigger than a virus. It's bigger than a cough. It's bigger than the stock market. It's, it's bigger than Taiwan and China. It's bigger than Israel and Iran. Like what is going on in our world is bigger than anything your eyes, your eyes can see. And I, I don't know how anyone could do it without Jesus. He is our hope. He doesn't just bring with him hope. He is our hope. So when he walks in the room, there's hope. There's hope for the hurting. There's hope for the confused. There's hope for the lost. There's hope for the broken. And, and I pray that we don't just look for an emotion called hope. We look for hope, the hope that has a name. And his name is Jesus. Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that your word would speak loud and clear to us, Father, that we would leave this auditorium changed by not the words of a preacher or the songs of a singer, but by the anointing and the power of God that is, is resting in this room and uh, in the TVs uh, of the homes that are watching. God, I thank you that your anointing and your power, your transformation knows no distance. It knows no limits. So God, we just give you full permission to wreck us today, to deliver hope. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. When you feel like giving up, don't lose hope. I wanna share with you from Revelation chapter three, go ahead and turn there. Our entire text will be in Revelation chapter three. I'm not sure how much time I have. Uh, you guys don't have lunch plans, is that right? We're good. We've got a few hours. Whew, great. That's the beauty of having one service and not two. It just really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, for those that are new, welcome to the Exchange Church. We'll keep it under four hours. No, that's, I'm just joking. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to turn 
with you. I have my scripture on my notes, but I want to turn to it in my Bible because um, I love the book of Revelation. And I love to see all of my notes. Are you with me in Revelation 3? Okay, so if you turn your page back one or two, um, you'll notice that there's Revelation 1. It's an introduction. Um, what has happened is the Apostle John has, he's going to be given a vision um, that the book of Revelation describes. And I'm not, I'm not breaking that down for us today, but do read it. It's quite interesting, fascinating. It's not as difficult to understand as maybe you grew up believing. Give it another shot. It's great. In fact, the word tells us that if you read the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. There is no other book in the Bible that gives you that guarantee. All right, so there is a promise from God that if you read the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. But what we see in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 is letter to seven churches. Now, chapter 2 is the loveless church and then the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church. Uh, go on over to chapter 3 is the dead church. I'm glad we, we are not in... The dead church. Can I get a good amen from people that are alive today? After the dead church, it then talks about the faithful church, which is the church that I want to talk to you. That's our text today. So it's going to be verse 7 through 13. We're going to read that together. Um, but just to give you a bigger overview of what's happening after the faithful church, then it talks about the lukewarm church. This is where you'll find that famous saying of don't be hot or cold. Don't be Luke. Well, no, 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 no. It's so famous, I just said it wrong. Be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm or God will spew you out of his mouth. It's better that you're like very anti-God or very pro-God. Like be all in or be all out. Don't have half your chips on the table for anyone that can relate to poker. Um, don't, don't be halfway in because... God can't deal with that. He's just going to push you out of the way. He would rather have somebody passionate for the wrong thing than not passionate at all. So that's where you'll see that um, in the lukewarm church. That's the church of Laodicea. And by the way, just to give you some, some context, scholars say, and I agree, that these seven churches, we've seen them play out in the history of the church. The church was born in Acts chapter 2, you know, when Peter, uh, the Holy Ghost fell and Peter preached and thousands were saved. The church was born, right? Since that time, we've seen the church globally transition through a series of attributes. And you can find them in these seven churches. Many would say that currently, as of 2021, we are currently in the church of Laodicea. Uh, that is the lukewarm church. People that want to show up to say they're a Christian, but don't want to show up to be a Christian. People that want their name on a register member role so they can mark it off as done, but they don't want to live as a Christian Monday through Saturday. That's the church of Laodicea. When you're hot, you're hot, right? You're, on Sunday, you're all in, but then come Monday, you're all out, and you just forget um, I do believe that we're currently in the church of Laodicea, that, that if you're discerning the times, you can see it. 
you can see a lot of people claiming to follow Jesus, um, or to be a Christian, but yet their light doesn't stand out in the darkness of the world. Um, they're, they're marching to what they feel is their idea of Christianity, of the God they would want to serve in the context of their own life, rather than who God actually says he is. Did you, you know the Bible's really offensive? I read, I read the Bible every day. Uh, I get offended at least three times a day when I read the word. Because the Bible is a mirror of Jesus Christ, and it's who I should be like. And there are many times that I'm not like what I should be like. And I'm, I'm not unsaved. I'm not a Christian. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He, he said many times he doesn't do what he wants to do. He does what he knows he shouldn't do. So I know that I'm not alone. So don't guilt trip me. Keep the shame to yourself this morning. I know you're holy. And when you read the Bible, it's just confirmation of your holiness. All right. But when I read the Bible, I get a little bit offended. And that's how... The church of Philadelphia should respond. The, the church of brotherly love. In chapter 3, that's where our text is. These are, are people who aren't afraid of getting offended because they want more to look like Jesus than they want to be comfortable in their own skin. And so our text picks up in verse 7 today. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, remember, these are letters to seven churches, and this is actually a letter from Jesus. So if you're looking in your Bible or your phone app that's a red letter edition, if that exists on the phone, I don't know, you can see that these are actually the words of Jesus. So these are the words of Jesus to the seven churches. And he begins by identifying himself, right? Like, hey, who goes there? He's identifying who he is. He says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. So in this description of himself, we see two characteristics right away that Jesus wants to make sure that the faithful church understands. That the faithful church church holds on to and that is that is he is holy and he is true holy holy he is set apart an illustration when i think of holy i mentioned this last week is the dishes you've got dishes in the sink you've got dishes in the cupboard cabinet wherever you keep your dishes your your dishes the dishes that you hide from people Right, the ones that don't match your Smoky Moe's cups. All right, though you got those common dishes, and then somewhere in the house you may or may not have some china, some fine dining, some dishes that are set apart. Maybe in the dining room, in a cabinet with glass, we, a china cabinet. For the longest time, Carrie and I, we've been married twenty something years. For the longest time, we had one set of china. Because only one person gave us china when we got married. So we had a plate and a cup and a saucer. Like, just, just one. But now we've got not really, we've got nicer stuff. You know what I'm saying? That, that was given to us. Because we don't, we don't buy those dishes that you don't ever use. We buy 
anyway, that's off the topic. But we, we do have a china cabinet with really, really nice dishes. And um, I know during the pandemic, my sister Sherry, we had the family over at Sherry's house. We invited ourselves to Sherry's house to have dinner. And she said, um, I want to take out the china. And we all thought, we were like, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you're going to have to wash dishes. It takes too long. Let's just... There's a lot of people in our family. You, you know, we've got cousin, my cousins, not my cousins, my kids and their cousins. And there's just a lot of people like, let's just have dinner on the paper plates. And my sister Sherry was like, no, we're in a pandemic. We all need a, a boost to pick me up. We're going to have dinner tonight on the good stuff, the set apart stuff, the holy stuff. You see, that's, that's what God is saying. He is in a class all by himself. Like, he is not in the sink waiting for somebody to give him attention. Even if it gets easier, Pedro, as the dish goes on. He's not there. That's, that's profane, right? And they need, they need washing, but that's not, that's not where he resides. Now, thankfully, his presence will reach into the profane and pull them out of the pit. But that, he, he needs us to know, he needs the faithful church to know that he's set apart, he, he's, he's not just a good old boy. Do you know what I mean? Yo, Jesus, what's up? Let's hang out. Let's chill. And, and it's nice, you know, to talk to Jesus like he's your buddy and your friend. And I'm so grateful that he's approachable that way. But there is something about me that shifts when the king of kings walks in the room. When, when I approach him understanding that he holds my life in his hand that he is holy and there is none beside him. He is, he is holy. Not only is he holy, it says, uh, he is the truth. He is true, ultimate reality. And anything that contradicts him is a lie. It's like, it's like Jesus is saying in this moment to the faithful church that anything that is inconsistent with me can't be trusted. Measure everything by me. If it's incompatible with me, it's wrong. No matter who told you, no matter how long you've believed it, no matter if CNN reported it or Fox News reported it, no matter if Epoch Times reported it, if it doesn't line up with me, it's not true. He says, I am holy, I am true. If we want to be faithful, we've got to get a hold of that. Today, Kayla, we got to understand that he is holy. We're in partnership with a holy God and a God who is true. Now, he says this next phrase that I think is quite interesting. He says, I have the key of David. And to understand what that means, to appreciate what's that, what that means, you have to go to Isaiah chapter 22. It tells a story where in the house of David... In the house of David, there was a steward. You know what? Can I just have five more minutes? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Whew. I'm freaking out thinking, how am I going to get there? I tell you what, you give me five more minutes and I promise you that I'll... Oh, I was just said it in preaching. Sorry. Oh, she thought that was a subtle cue to start. No, that's my bad. I will not say your name again while preaching. I'm sorry, Kayla. That's totally my fault. I own that. Do you forgive me? 
Okay. <laughs> Jesus said, I have the key of David. Now, to understand, you can go back to Isaiah 22, and you can read all about it. But there was a steward in the house of David. Now, to translate the house of David, that's the kingdom of Israel. There was this steward who wasn't doing things right, and he ended up getting fired. They, they like, pulled his steward card. And uh, they brought in a new steward of the house, Eliakim. Now, Eliakim was given a key, the key, to the house of David. And so when Jesus says he has the key of David, he's pointing back to Eliakim. Eliakim is pointing forward to Jesus, a steward of the house that is going to have the key in the future. Now, notice it says the key, not a key. The key. Jesus said, I possess the key of the kingdom. It's a single key because it's the master key. It's, he doesn't have a, a loop of multiple keys that he has to go through to see which key opens which door for you. While you're waiting for Jesus to answer, he's not asking Peter to run and check the junk drawer. I'm missing a key. He's not lost any keys because he's got... The key, the key, the steward of the house of David, the, the steward of the kingdom of Israel, he's got the key that opens every single door. And when the Bible talks about the key, it speaks of two things, access and authority. So Jesus has access to any door that he wants to walk through. And I know some of us had tried to say, close some doors in our life and say, no. Come back tomorrow, Jesus. You can touch all of this room, but let's leave this room of my past untouched. Let's leave this door of my failures unopened. But he has the key to every single door. He has access to any door and authority over every door. Some of us get upset when a door seems to close. Let me just remind you who has authority over every door in your life. Some of us are upset because doors don't seem to open. Let me remind you who has access to every door, already knows what's behind door number two, and knows if you should enter door number two, because he has the key. He has ultimate access and ultimate Authority. He can open the door he wants open, and he can close the door that he wants closed. And we need to understand that, or we get confused and start to think that people hold the keys. We get confused and think government holds the keys. Can I just tread a little bit deeper? And some, we start thinking presidents hold the keys. I don't care if you were happy or disappointed at election. Jesus still holds the key. And we might get a little less riled up if we understood that if God wants you somewhere, no man or woman can keep you from it. If God wants to promote you, your boss is not in the way. And if he is, God will remove him to elevate you. Now, don't get too excited when I talk about God removing people for you to elevate Simmer down, but the truth is still there. God is your promoter, not man. He holds the key. 
We're trying to run around pleasing all of these people, thinking if we just can jockey for position and, and get this person to like us or that group to like us, or if we say this on social media. The truth is, God has already determined the footsteps of a righteous man. They have been ordered, and every door that you need to walk through, he's already got the key. Jesus says, I control every door because I have the key. What's interesting is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I have the key, so I'm in charge. Jesus is in charge. Then he says in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you, everybody say me. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, he has the key. He gives us multiple keys. We have keys of authority and access. He has the master key. How does this work? Well, when you use the right key, his master key will back you up. Some of us are trying to open doors using the wrong key. Another way to say it is if you skip God's way to get it done, don't just call on God to use his master key when you've ignored the keys that he's given you. Some of us want to call on God to use his master key to get us promoted at work, but we won't use the key of an alarm clock to show up on time. I'm not speaking to anyone on my team when I say that, I promise. I'm not. I'm really, I'm literally not. What gets me is we often use the world's keys to unlock heaven. And those keys just don't fit. And Satan has gotten really good at labeling the world's keys to look like godly principles. Love isn't love if it's not the love of the Bible. You ever loved someone so much that you furthered them in their addictions? That's not love. I'm setting some of us free today because you've been carrying the shame and the guilt of helping someone else because you've been using this key of long-suffering but that's not the key of the kingdom that God has called you to use. That is something that the enemy has cloaked in scripture. We were on vacation traveling to many cities one time and um, went to multiple hotels. And there's one hotel we checked into and we had the baggage, the, the luggage, and we went up to the room. And I put my key in the door and it blinked red. It's late and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. I'm ready to get into the room. And so it's not working and I try it again. It blinked red, the door's not opening. So I tell the family to wait there. I'm gonna go down to the desk, have them fix it. Tell them it's not working. He says, he'll be up in a minute. I go back to the room and I'm waiting. I try again, it blinks red, the key doesn't work. 
getting increasingly frustrated. Finally, the guy who obviously was busy um, made his way up to our room. He was like, that is, that's weird. We just fixed this lock. Let me see your key. And I hand him the key and he, he, he goes to try it, but he looks at it and he says, this is the wrong hotel key. I had been using the hotel key from the hotel we had just left, trying to get into the new room. And those kingdoms don't mix. You see, you can try to use the keys of yesterday's season to open doors of today, but those keys don't fit. This is where we have to understand that we can't just run around trying to get people to do something for us, trying to make doors open, trying to make things happen. We need to spend time in prayer and in the word, gaining discernment on which key do I use in this season, Lord? Because he's given us multiple. Revelation 3, verse 8 says, he's saying to the church, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. For though you have little strength, he tells the faithful church. And that's good news, right? You don't have to have a lot of strength to be found faithful. Come on, somebody lied to you and made you believe that, that you have to look strong and talk strong and act strong for the hand of God to be on you, but that's not actually true. In fact, his hand is most often over the weak, those who feel incapable, those who feel unqualified, those who feel broken and beat down, those who have little strength. He said, you have little strength, but, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. For his key to work, we need to keep his word and not deny his name. For his key to work, we need to read the word, obey the word, follow the word, and then not be ashamed of him. And by the way, he has a name. His name is Jesus. It's still the name above every other name. I, I, I feel like maybe sometimes we just try to gloss over Jesus and, and look religious to other people with a God bless you when someone sneezes. But God has a name. And that name Jesus is still the most powerful thing on planet Earth. You want the keys of God to work in your life? We've got to learn to keep his word and not to deny his name. Keep his word. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. I feel like that one thing the enemy is doing in our world today, and this is my opinion, okay? So you can disagree. You can disagree with anything I say ever. But if you disagree with what this says, we know who's wrong, okay? But this is my opinion. I believe that the enemy has distorted the word wisdom among us. That it has been reduced to an idea of safety. It's wise if I don't get hurt. It's wise if I don't get sick. It's wise if there's not risk. But I don't actually believe that's what biblical wisdom is. I don't think that biblical wisdom results in your safety. Can I get an amen from somebody who knows that Jesus actually died on the cross? And he's the ultimate act of wisdom? 
the ultimate act of wisdom in his disciples, many of them gave their life. So was it not wise for them to preach the gospel? We often, you know, I feel like we lean into this notion of, well, it's just not wise to do something. Here's, here's what's not wise. What's not wise is to not be able to discern what the Spirit of God is saying for you to do in a moment. Wisdom is stepping into what the Lord tells you to do. So if the Lord has told you to stay home, stay home, that's wisdom. If the Lord has told you to get to church, get to church, that's wisdom. Are you with me? If the Lord has told you to pray for somebody who has a communicable disease, lay hands on them, cast a spirit of infirmity out, then you do it. And if he tells you not to, then you don't. That's what wisdom is. And at the end of the day, if I die because I've obeyed the word of the Lord, then I have gotten my reward. Do you know every pandemic in the history of the world, you know who the forerunners were, the, the warriors who saved the day? The church. Bubonic plague. It was the church who buried people and opened up the graves. It was the church who went into the homes and prayed for the sick. The church in the history in the history of crises in the world has never been afraid of crisis because we've been the solution. Now, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you should walk to the COVID unit and tell everyone to cough on you, okay? Now, if the Lord tells you to, if the Lord tells you to go there, stand in their face, let them cough on you and you breathe back in them, I say do it because it would be the breath of God going into them to bring healing, not just to them, but to the entire floor of the hospital. Are you with me? Like the wisdom of God is not in a result that keeps you safe. The wisdom of God is in the discernment of hearing what he wants you to do in that moment. Okay, I'm out of time. And I still have so much good stuff to say. So I'm gonna pick up next week. My wife has an extra week to prepare for her incredible sermon called Morning Glories. Denying his name, I'll leave you with this. Denying his name, it, it, it can be as simple as just identifying with him, you know? Like when you're going through your day, bring him into the conversation. Like, Lord, what do you, what do you think about this? Not forgetting that he exists, not forgetting that he is with you, even something as, as simple as baptism, by the way, on August 22nd. August 22nd, um, we're going to have baptisms. And on the screen here, uh, you notice it says it's going to be at Lake Fleurville. Does it say that? It's not. It's not going to be at Lake Fleurville. Uh, because Lake Fleurville is, is closing. They're doing some construction. Um, and it would just be too far for us to all walk. So it's actually going to be in my backyard. I have a pool. Um, we're going <laughs> to... Chad, you're getting baptized for the sixth time? I don't... But yeah, if you... We really love Lake Pflugerville, just the natural environment of it. Um, but we also understand the mandate of baptism is greater than our preference of, of location. Um, so I'm sure that my kids will have the backyard cleaned for you when you come to our home. Uh, but please sign up if you would like to get baptized... That's one way that we identify with Jesus Christ. We just root ourselves in the things of God. That's identifying with him. You know, connect groups is another great example. Um, there, some of them are starting today, and many of you have not signed up. Hey, we can't. It has never been easier to be a part of a connect group because we have things online. 
and in person. So it's, it's literally never been easier to root yourself in the community of the Exchange Church. Listen, community happens in circles, not rows. So I'm asking you, if you've not yet signed up for Connect Group, do that. That's just yet another way that we can identify with the body of Christ and iron can sharpen iron and we can develop relationships with one another. All right, for those of you who wanted to leave today with hope, I want to remind you and leave you with the fact that he doesn't just have a key, he has the key. Please stand to your feet. I think the real pandemic of the world is that a lot of people today want to be part-time Christians but want a full-time God. So I'm asking that over the next seven days that God will just shake you, move you, stir you, convict you, encourage you in a good way. These, these, are, these are good thoughts I have towards you because once the Lord totally reorients your perspective, you can never see things the same way again. So what you thought was a hopeless situation, suddenly you see Jesus all in it. What felt like a hopeless scenario, a hopeless relationship, suddenly you see hope. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for your goodness. You're such a good God. God, I thank you that your face is shining upon us. That it is your pleasure to give your children good gifts. So God, we lean into you. We lean, we lean into the fact that the hope of Christ is alive. It's not dead. It's not on a shelf collecting dust. It is still alive and well. So God, we ask that the hope would be stirred within us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for being here today. Carrie and I and our team love you so much. Um, I want you to take what you got in here and take it out there. Go be the church. Service is over, but church is not. We'll see you next Sunday, 1030 a.m. or this Wednesday, Awaken at 630 p.m. God bless you.